First up, though, this is a special month for two of LA's patriarchs, Frank Gehry and Eli Broad. Next week, Eli Broad's much-anticipated museum on Grand Avenue opens to the public. And this weekend, a retrospective of Frank Gehry opens at LACMA. A biography of his life and work is about to hit the bookstores, and the Getty is awarding the architect a Lifetime Achievement Medal, all of which sounds like the honours given to a man in the sunset of his career. Except that Frank is busy, busy, busy with new projects, including his surprise involvement with the LA River. So what's one to learn from the retrospective, which is called simply Frank Gehry? We asked LA Times architecture critic Christopher Hawthorne. He saw the show last year in its first outing at the Pompidou Centre in Paris. It was a comprehensive and very traditional sort of monographic retrospective of a single architect's work. So it really went back all the way to the beginning to his earliest projects and, and then carried all the way through his most recent projects, including the the planned uh, Guggenheim in Abu Dhabi. LACMA is adding some local projects, uh, including some projects that are still being designed, like this new building on the Sunset Strip that's just been announced in the last couple of weeks. So it really, it was really one of those, you know, kind of straightforward, traditional retrospective um, looking at every period of his career. And that show, I found sort of hermetically sealed, um, both apart from the process that Frank Gehry uses in his office and also from larger debates within the architecture world, particularly a kind of debate about star architecture and celebrity architecture and whether it makes sense to think of buildings as being designed by, you know, one individual lone genius architect. And then also the question, that the issue that I always have with these shows about architects this kind of retrospective, particularly with living architects, is that they are often much too close to their subjects, in my view, um, because they really require cooperation with the architect's office to get models and materials. I think museums should be trying, particularly with our architects as prominent as Frank Gehry, to do shows that have a little more detachment, a little more kind of critical point of view. But I think what you get almost always with these shows about architects, particularly living ones, is a kind of celebration that converge on hagiography where you really um, there's no question that they'll, you know, there's there's no possibility that there'll be some critique of of which projects are better than others, or where the where the architect in question has gone wrong or uh, lost his or her way. Did you see places where he lost his way? I think there are projects, particularly when he worked with a certain kind of client who gave him a lot of leeway but wasn't particularly interested and active. So I'm thinking of the Experience Music Project in Seattle, which I think is a, a particularly weak project. Um, you know, there are a handful of other ones that, that I, I don't think the Stata Center at MIT is a great building. You know, there are a handful that uh, where I think his most kind of sculptural, grandiose impulses are, are, are sort of indulged. And those are the buildings that aren't as successful in my view. My sense that is that his work has actually been affected or impacted quite substantially by the um, collaboration inside the office. Interesting. I think that's very true of a lot of architects. That It's not the kind of thing that, at least in the Pompidou version, this show was interested in exploring. There was zero talk about his partners who have played a really substantial role in his practice, um, uh, particularly Greg Walsh and Craig Webb, uh, Edwin Chan, who's who's left the office fairly recently. And I actually think there's an audience for that. I think people have a sense that it's too easy to say that buildings are designed by, you know, one individual working in isolation. 
Now, one thing that I have heard from many people who've worked in Frank's office, which sort of defies the image that, frankly, Frank has himself perpetuated, which is that one of the artist formmaker, the Frank that people who work with him see is the Frank who's kind of obsessed with the plan, who will sit for ages noodling with the arrangement of rooms and discussing and analysing what's going to make the interior experience work for the client. One, I think that's something that sort of needs to be understood about him and his work, and it's why his buildings are not merely superficial. They're not merely show-offy shells. They do work in an interior way, albeit some less well than others. Um, But is that something that came across in the show? No, and I completely agree with you. I think if there's one place that where Frank's underrated, it's the, the kind of basics of architecture. In fact, his skill is a very traditional one in many ways. He's a kind of humanist, and his most successful buildings work in very traditional ways in terms of how a body moves through space and light and, you know, the kind of basic building blocks of architecture. And I think he's more skilled at that than most people give him credit for, even while he is susceptible. I, I think there's a legitimate critique of the buildings that, as I've said, go over the top in, in terms of their sculptural qualities or haven't been, you know, as finely uh, tuned or reined in as they ought to have been. But um, I agree, he's he's concerned with the kind of basics, starting with plans, starting with that kind of interior space. Um, and the exterior wrapping becomes either a distraction for people or uh, is separate from the ways in which the most successful projects of, of his really operate. This is a week of men in their 80s, still with bags of energy and lots of power. Eli Brode, Frank Gehry. We have this show opening of Frank's. At the end of this month, Frank is going to receive a gold medal from from the Getty. There's a biography coming out uh, written by architecture critic Paul Goldberger. Everything smacks of a look back at a great man's life. But the great man himself couldn't be more preoccupied with other projects, such as the L.A. River. (laughs) (laughs) This is a guy at 86 that doesn't show any sign of stopping and, in fact, wants to stretch. He doesn't want to just do yet another museum. Um, Is this the right moment to be having a retrospective of Frank? Should we be looking forward at the next stage of Frank and possibly arguing about the validity of his engagement? It's a fascinating set of questions. I think the first thing I would say is it's not just these two men... um, it's these two men who have had a rivalry, uh, and I can't imagine that Eli Brode is thrilled that in the week leading up to the opening of his museum, which has been much anticipated, um, you have the opening of this Frank Gehry retrospective and the publication of the Gary biography by Paul Goldberger, uh, which will all have the effect of stealing a little bit of thunder uh, from Eli Brode's museum. Since you've brought up the, the Brode, you have been there, you've reviewed it. Just give us a quick response to that, particularly in in view of its context being right bang up against the Disney Concert Hall. How does that work as a building? So it's meant very much designed by Diller Scofidio and Ren for the New York Architects, who won a, a very small invited competition that Eli Broad set up to design a museum to hold his collection of which is mostly modern um, and contemporary art. And from the beginning, from the competition phase, Diller Scofidio and Renfro really thought of the building as being a kind of foil, a reaction to Disney Hall, um, introverted where that building is extroverted and matte where that building is really shiny and reflective. But the way it turned out, I think it's a much 
more inert kind of facade than the early rendering suggested. But is it an exciting experience or is it uh, one, you know, very rich and powerful man's, you know, private uh, collection? I have I have really mixed feelings about it. I think the and perhaps this is a product of this of this really intense relationship between architect and client. The parts of the museum that got the most scrutiny and were the most uh, value engineered or vetted or reworked uh, during that process uh, are to me uh, the least successful parts of the building and the architecture. So that's in particular the skin and the top floor galleries. And then around the edges of that process, uh, things that were added sort of later in the game or where the architects have had a little bit more leeway, and that's the lobby, uh, the galleries at the back of the ground floor are more interesting to me, have some more architectural personality. But the fact that the the facade is disappointing is a significant detail. It's much more significant than it would be for most buildings because so much of the design uh, the conceit, the idea of the building was wrapped up in what this skin would look like, how it would operate, how it would differentiate the building from Disney Hall next door. Well, Christopher Hawthorne, thanks so much for all your time. It's great to talk to you. Thanks, Francis. That was Christopher Hawthorne, architecture critic for the Los Angeles Times, talking about the Frank Gehry retrospective opening this weekend at LACMA. I'm Francis Anderton. You're listening to DNA.